So you're leaving California. You're done. I'm done. You're not going to stay there and just be a Hollywood person from now on? No, 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 no. It's actually been a pretty... <laughs> I got, I've been pretty social while I'm here, despite the fact, you know, what's going on with COVID and that they asked me to basically be in a bubble. Not not officially. I wasn't like... I didn't have to sign anything that says I promise I won't see anybody. But uh, I've been out and about a little bit. And so I did get to... Meet some new people. I met Frank at Belito, which has been a great visit. I've seen him twice. And we molded my arm the other night. You guys might have saw that. And it's been a great visit. But I am very, very, very happy to get back to New York. No doubt. It'll be nice. Because, you know, I left and it was basically like the end of summer. And when I get back, it's going to be like full-on winter. So, <laughs> yeah. And I get nervous when it's winter. And like the house has a heating system that's very fragile and, you know, all these type of things. I feel like nothing can happen while I'm gone. So like all my stuff is holding its breath. And when I come back, it'll all be like, oh, my God. <laughs> Just think about how organized your shop is going to be when you get back. Oh, I know. Because I haven't been there making it a mess for four weeks. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And we had guys. I <laughs> While I'm gone, I had guys fix up one of my trucks. My friend Mike has been working on my truck, and he I keep seeing his Instagram posts. And I'm like, is that my car? Is that my car? <laughs> so it's gonna. I'm gonna come back to like a, a one of the clinkers that I bought, like a perfectly running car. So that's exciting. And he's also him and his his uh, partner are rebuilding one of the rooms in my house. So I'm gonna come back to oh, a oh, room wow. that's completely interior is all redone with a couple of new windows. So I'm excited about that too. So. It's cool. Hmm. And the barn, Taylor's been working on the barn, which it kind of things slowed down because the contractor had other things to do. But this week he's going to be working on that. So it's going to be like I never left. As soon as I come back, it's going to like boom, right back into it. I have a whole page yeah. full of ideas to get started on. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Are you just uh, are you just getting like itchy? I know you're in a shop and you're doing stuff and nah. you're helping people, but you know, are you like just itching to get back to your stuff and your tools and your process and your schedule? And you know, oh yeah, things? yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's been a nice break. You know, I had to it, 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 in a roundabout way. I basically meditated all this time because I had a lot of free time to just you know look at my notebook and sketch and and whatever. But the um, I, I'm putting out a video if I get approval from Weaver because it's a Weaver video. If I get approval from them, I'll put it out tomorrow, which will be uh, the same day as the podcast comes out. And you'll see, I had limited access to tools. I did the best I could with what I had. You know, Weaver sent over a few things, but at the end of the day, like all these little subtle things that I'm so used to go into my leather toolbox for, like oh, this little tool and that, and none of it. It's like completely gone. So I had a I had to navigate and make my product fit what I could do with what I had. And I would have done things a lot differently if I was in my own shop, but it was, it was a good, I did a leather tooled video where I put a texture on a little snap lid bag and it came out good. I'm happy with the bag and I'm happy. I learned, definitely learned some stuff with some new chemicals that they sent me. But at the end of the day, it, things would have been much different if I had all the subtle tools that I would have used, but you know, the, just readapt. Did you have, did you have a way to put that, kind of caveat in the video without just saying it yeah i did I, I did an Is opening it? i did an opening where i'm talking about it holding it did kind of like a oh. bob claggett style and then I, I opened up with it holding it talking about what i'm about to do and why it's not as good as i would have hoped it could be and then i went into it and did the voiceover and that's how i did it so we'll see it's a little bit different cool. video but i felt like it, it it was like too out it was like so many things that 
I would have done differently. The average person would have looked at a video, no matter whether I opened it with my cell phone or not, with a voiceover or not, and would have been like, okay, that's cool. But I just felt like I needed to explain a few things. So that's why I did that. And it was easy for me, too, because I'm having this back and forth. We all have our conversation with our audience. I think it's important to say, I'm not in my regular shop. You'll see light changing constantly, and I'm on the set of the show, and I'm working in between things happening when they happen. Like one, like last night, I started doing the like kind of the end of the shot where the few final things I was doing, and we're all and the friends were there that that are on the show. The, the there's a whole bunch of people that are helpers, and we've developed a good friendship that mostly the same people all three times, and so I started doing the bag, and they all came over and they're like, "Oh wow, that's really cool. What are you doing?" And then like while we were talking, they shut the entire studio lights off because it was like the last like we wrapped oh. the show and then I started doing my thing just using like what the available time before they wrap up the shop they literally the shop's outside so there's a tremendous plastic tarp that they put over the entire place so in case it rains nothing gets wet and so I every night when they're done I got to do a few things before they put the tarp over the building and so we're doing that and then some people come over so I do like half my shot with like perfect lighting and then the rest of the shot with available lighting through the window so the shot goes from being like kind of crispy to being a little blown out because I had to pump up the exposure because like all the lights went out and I only had like the end of the day sunlight to finish it but nobody notices it but that's what I was working against the whole time so you have those little emotional tags all the time when you're looking at that you're like oh that's when the lights went out oh that's when I couldn't find that tool oh and I'm thinking that everyone's going to notice the difficult time I had but more than likely they won't but so to satisfy my insecurities i do the voiceover and the little opening intro so when you see me do that it's just because i'm insecure (laughs) so that's our topic today being insecure yeah (laughs) just kidding not kidding just kidding david David, what are you about to we just finished shooting uh we have this this hallway that it dead ends into a wall that leads to all the the bedrooms in the bathroom and i made a table for that dead end and it's a it's a round it's a like a half round and the the front apron is also curved and in my mind it looked super awesome and then in reality i'm not 100 percent happy with it it's Did you do uh, a voiceover in the beginning did you open up like holding uh, i haven't <laughs> <that helps. laughs> they kept shutting the studio down on me i don't know <laughs> totally jimmy dressed the style yes um actually if you want if you Jimmy, if you want to record the voiceover for me, that would be great. Just okay. out of nowhere comes Jimmy's voice to <laughs> narrate the video. So I, um, this is one I didn't model in Fusion 360. I just drew up the top in an Illustrator, and like this is all I really need. And then when I got it together into the real world, the the base is uh, the it's not the base is too big basically. The, the top should has an inch lip all the way around the front. It really should be like maybe two inch lip all the way around the front. There's proportionally, it just doesn't look right. And the, the top has this cool little CNC design on there. It kind of looks like a, a sliced up orange with these little, uh, it's made out of black walnut with English walnut inlays in there. And um, because the base is almost the same size as the top, your eye is drawn to the base. And I'm not 100% happy with it. And hmm. I haven't shot the end of the video, so I don't know if I'm going to talk about that yet. 
but I'm pretty sure I'm going to remove the base and remake it. Like if I'm making a little box, you know, to show how to make a box and it doesn't come out perfect, not a big deal. But this is one of those projects I have to look at multiple times every single day for many years. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to like it. So, Hmm. uh, yeah, so I just finished shooting that. I know I've been talking about it for a month, but I finally finished our wedding rings three weeks late. They came out really good. The first version of them is a total failure. And so we had to go to plan B and it's one of those things where plan B ended up being so much better than plan A. So that came out really cool. And I think that will be the next video is the ring video. And then, uh, then this hallway table. So that's what I've been, that's what I've been working on. Yeah. And, um, I got a new CNC. So I've been playing around with that quite a bit. I gave my old, um, CNC to Dan and got a step craft and the it's it's a step up it, like it's it's super solid like you could throw this thing off the roof and it's gonna a lot of budge. a lot a couple of my friends well derek's got one and my buddy rob's got one and they both really like it a lot they both they really think it's yeah. really secure strong it's very strong that would be a good video if you threw it off the roof. <laughs> just you're starting yeah. out there well use yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's the way to get views if that's the most important thing. <laughs> so I, the one thing that I learned is I've been not getting, I've been not cutting for years since since we got our first Shapeoko like six seven years ago. I've been using the wrong speeds and feeds, and I've been creating dust. And if you actually use the right feeds and speeds, you don't get dust; you get little chips. And yeah. so I. I I got some new bits and they come with a chart and you, if you follow the chart, it cuts so much faster, so much cleaner and no dust. You get chips. I don't know. So I've learned a lot and I've been really diving into CNC stuff. That's good. And the feeds and speeds are important. I saw that you had posted a picture of like a stack of books. Like you were going yeah, through a bunch yeah. of different CNC books to learn that stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, to jump back, I had an idea. I had an idea about your table real quick before you yeah. move ahead. So if you're not happy with the way that it looks, you take crayons and you lay them across mm-hmm. the front of the table mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. melt them mm-hmm. and then they'll just like cover up the apron. Mm-hmm. Just an idea. Take yeah. If you want it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, it's it's <laughs> funny that that, that, that didn't even come up yesterday when, when Dan was over here. Because <laughs> uh, here's that. Uh, here's that beautiful pencil holder, which nobody can see. Oh, you've already done pan. that. I didn't realize. I just thought it was a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. So underneath Sorry. all that melted crayon is beautiful um, Bubenga and Wenge. But you can't see it because it's got colorful crayon <laughs> melted on it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I interrupted you. you uh, no. I um, Do you remember in second grade art class and you made an ashtray for your parents who didn't smoke? Anybody ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw you made that on the CNC. It came out beautiful. Yeah. I, so I modeled up a, an ashtray uh, and I cut it out on the CNC and it was a two-sided thing. I've never done two-sided CNC stuff before and made little registration pins. And I don't know, it was just a good little exercise. So yeah, I made an ashtray. I don't smoke. Nowadays, it's called a parch tray. <laughs> Give me a little tip. You can just change. Uh, oh. oh yeah, just change the title changed. of that video on that post. It's called a parch tray. 
<laughs> Somebody's got the little slots in the side for you to set your pencils in, right? So that they don't roll away. Is that what the little yeah, slots yeah. are for? Well, somebody cool. suggested that's where you put your dressed ice pick. <laughs> there you go. Yep, so. that's exactly what that's why. That's what that's yeah. why parts tray has a notch in it for him. <laughs> <laughs> so how was the uh, the two part or you know doing the two sided cut? I've never actually done that. I don't think that's on my list this year. To um, do. I don't think I've ever done that. Once, uh, so it's it's really it's it's not a big. Uh, I guess I've I've always had this block like oh that's got to be complicated. You got to set up stops and and stuff like that. And really, all you do is if your uh, um, if your zero is center on your workpiece, then you can temporarily mm. clamp your work. Well, you, you can clamp your workpiece down. And you have the CNC drill two holes, two quarter inch holes on um, what would that be? The 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 X axis could be X or Y um, space evenly part from center. So you then drill, you then mill out your top piece, and then you can take it off. You flip it over, and though and you put pins in those holes, and those holes should have been going into your wasteboard as well. And so now your piece is perfectly flipped over to do that second side and it should be centered perfectly. Yeah. And then you can just run a second file uh, to do your to do your bottom half. Yeah, that's way simpler than I would have thought <laughs> yeah. through it. So I'm actually going to do a whole video on making that ashtray. And it's um hmm. I I don't think I've done a software video or I've not done a software video in many years. But it's going to be from beginning to end how I drew that's the, the I drew are you it working up. with Vectrix on that flip flip model yes so I, I drew it up in fusion 360 but then I am cutting it out in vcarve right. I just find the toolpath and stuff easier in vcarve but that's I just because of my lack of knowledge within fusion yeah, same with me. I, I just met somebody recently who said, oh, actually, it was Frank. You guys know Frank. Frank Ippolito said he models everything in Fusion. So he says for him, it's super easy. So I, I'm curious. I want to play around with that and see if that's a possibility. You know, just post out through for the three-dimensional stuff. Yeah. Through yeah. Fusion. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I think anybody who has a lot of Illustrator experience, which is both of you guys and kind of me, I think the the Vectric stuff is like a little closer to that, so it seems a lot more natural. Well, with the especially getting the curves, if you have a compound curve that you want to try to, or I guess it's not a compound curve, but a multi point curve that you want to make in Fusion, that feels really different than it does hmm. in Illustrator, and that's one of those things that I I just can't replicate like one for one between the two. I don't do that often, but that is a sticking point for me for sure. Yeah. Um, so. I just had something to say about Vectrix versus Fusion, and I forget what it was. It'll come back to me. I'm sorry. Huh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. It's very early for you. It is. So it's okay. It just is turned 5.50 a.m. 5.50 a.m., and I went to sleep at midnight. I was trying to go to sleep earlier, but just had to stay up for the news. You know, it's, just, it's hard for me to go to bed early. I just, I just dilly-dally around until it's like 2 a.m., and then my body's like, okay, let's go to bed. <laughs> and that was happening last night. And I knew I had to get up at like a quarter to five today. So, okay. So to switch gears, but you mentioned sleeping, and I'm looking at David's video, and I see his puppy in the back. Oh, it okay. just hit me that I had a dream 
sometime in the past week, and I don't remember when it was now, but I had this dream that you and your dog were at my house, and the dog, but it didn't look like him. <laughs> yeah. It was a dog, but it was him, but it didn't look like him. You know, right. it was like some That's other. That's how dreams work. Yeah. Yeah, mutant dog thing. But I remember this dog running up and like licking my leg, and you were like, "Oh, he likes you." That's the only part of the room, um, the dream. That he won't. Uh, he won't run up to you and lick your leg. He'll run up to you and maybe nip at you, and then oh. it, it takes him a good ten minutes, and then he'll love you. That's that's just the way he works. Gotcha. Speaking of of wiener dogs, and I know Jimmy, you've brought this up in the past when you work with sponsors who do absolutely no research on you. Right. And then yeah, they don't know who you are. They just want to work with you. And then they're surprised. Well, I'm working with uh, Minwax on this project. And they they it starts off with, like, there's a challenge box. Here's some gift cards. Go buy the stuff and, and make the thing. And I open up the box. And there is a string of wiener dog lights in the box. And then uh, a Canon lens uh, coffee mug type thing in the box. Like they did their research. And oh, that's great. They, they put oh, little gifts in there for me. You're going to tell me that that was an accident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, completely opposite. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it was it just it was it was a little a little bit different. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Awesome. Well, let's see. For me, the video we have coming out today, I guess, so it's already out by the time the show's out. Um, we did something a little bit different. Uh, Josh and I did kind of a challenge. It's not really, we weren't working against each other, but we both started with the same thing. So the idea was with Thanksgiving coming up, we were like, well, what if we took a piece of walnut each, a single board, and just had to make something out of it? And you have like two days, like two work days to cut and glue up and finish and everything, something for the meal for Thanksgiving. So that was kind of the idea. And we talked about it about the week before. And it was a real struggle for me not to like spend the week thinking like, okay, what could I do with that board? I kept trying to push it off so that I didn't think about it. And so I really got to the day when we started shooting it. And he brought these two boards from his shop because he has tons of rough sawn walnut. And uh, he brought them in and I really had to make it up on the fly and it was a lot of fun. It was, hmm. we had a really good time, but it, so it's a different type of video cause it's two different people making different stuff at the same time. And the camera's going back and forth between and, but you know, it was a lot of fun and it was a good challenge for me. I definitely made stuff that I would not make otherwise, like given the time I would plan ahead to make something more finished and more like, uh, did you burn it and put a metal edge on it? You did? Oh, no, you didn't do it? <laughs> no. That's what I would have done. I didn't. That <laughs> <clears throat> took a second. But it was it was interesting because, like, he, you know, Josh went the route of making, like, a really nice finished, um, you know, everything was milled really cleanly. And he made this really nice tray, and I made a collection of few other things that were a lot more organic, like a style that's not really me that I wouldn't typically go for. But I'm happy with how it all turned out, and it was a lot of fun. Quick little you know, kind of challenge video between the two of us. Um, so we did that a couple weeks ago and that'll be coming out this week. And then we, this week we've been doing, we're working ahead on something that we're going to put out in a month or so, but it's been molding and casting for like this entire week. And I think a little bit of last week too, but it's been, uh, I've learned a whole lot <laughs> because we've got a bunch of molding materials, a 
bunch of casting materials and we're trying like all the combinations and all and what, the what are you molding between. are you molding uh human body parts like i just did with frank or are you doing uh like hard objects it's, you don't want to say it's hard objects i don't want to say what they are because it'll start to give away the idea it's going to be really cool right okay but, so yeah uh, it's it's not a not a hand because when i met frank this week if you, anybody hasn't been paying attention to my social media i met frank Ippolito at the thingery he's a prop maker and, and an Instagrammer and a YouTuber. And he's kind of dialed into the YouTube scene out here and the maker scene out here. Frank is awesome. And that's so why I talked with Tamara and Tamara, I don't know She's like, well, let's meet at Frank Capolito's place. And like, I, I know him on Instagram, but we never met in person and I, we never met at Make Affair or anything. And so I was like, oh, wow, I'd love to meet that guy. And then we met, it was just like any other Instagram YouTuber meetup. It was just like, we're old friends just looking at his incredible productive space with the most incredible skilled group of people. It's just uh, the work is unbelievable. I didn't take, take too many pictures because he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of secret work laying everywhere. So he's basically was just like, sorry, just can't do it at all. But I went away and we had a great, got a great hang me, him and Tamara. And then he, he texted me and he's like, Hey, you want to mold your hands this week? Cause I had told him about an idea I had when I was at art school of, a bunch of hands holding up a, a body, like a, a body surfing. So you like body surfing like this? Hmm. And yeah. so if I, because he has hands everywhere, he's doing a project with his arms and legs. So I was like, oh, that reminds me of this project that I thought of when I was at school. I was going to sculpt like a hundred wooden hands and they were going to hold up somebody like on a lounge. So you're basically body surfing. And he's like, oh, because we should do that one day. And then so it was a couple of days later when he's like, hey, if you got time one night this week, come by and we'll mold your hand and start that process. He had extra material. So, and uh, Tamara came over and she filmed, she filmed it for a concept she's working on. I filmed it just for a vlog. And then we had Instagram and it was really, it was a lot of fun just seeing how I've done molds my, my whole life working in the toy business, but he does it for a different reason with different budgets. And so, I mean, he mixed up this whole box of alginate and I'm thinking to myself, like, if that was my, I told him, I said, if that was mine, I'd spend half the day making a box that was like one inch away from my whole entire arm so that yeah. I would, I would take that box <laughs> and use it five times. He just dumped the whole box out and like, it was like a five gallon pail for my arm. And, but because of the way he thinks he wants to get the best mold he can. And he goes, it's also, what's my time worth? I could spend all day long making a box to conserve material or I could just buy more material. It's just it's one cost is the same as the other. And this way I can keep moving forward. And so, you know, it's just when you're in business and you have a lot to do and employees and stuff. And we made a mold and, and just, it was great to make a mold with someone that has so much experience like him. Just, it's just second nature. And I know there was a lot of overlap from my personal experience and his, but so many little tips and tricks I learned with somebody that makes molds all the time. And there was a guy, his, one of his guys was making a mold of a really complicated thing while we were there and watching him, you know, do some of the things that I would do, but also a few new subtle tips that definitely will go into the next time I do something like that. It always feels like when I'm doing something like that, it's an experiment. So I'm setting myself up for failure. When you work with somebody like Frank, he's very confident that it's going to work out. He just knows that yeah, oh, yeah. this is, this is going to work, work out. Yeah, it has to work. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I, his his guy who was there making a mold, he made a mold, and then whenever all the the silicone settled, the object was sticking out of the silicone. I'm like, wow, it's not just me. He had to go mix up a whole more, a bunch more, and pour it on top of it. That was always mm. like I always think I hit it on the head, and then I either end up with like 
half a gallon more than I need and I wasted all that money or I end up doing it too short and then I have to pour just a little bit more and then because I'm so thrifty with that stuff I have to pour just a little bit more so I have to mix up like three more batches and then because I'm always hasty like one of those layers doesn't cure the same as the other layer this is a molding problem oh yeah we did this thing so one of the things that we're molding we ran into that same thing we had three PVC pipes full of these things that we were molding and so, you know, we could calculate the volume of them pretty easily because they're just cylinders. And so thought we had it right. We went and poured the first two and about half of the other one. And I'm like, oh, well, while it's still, you know, I know you could like pour it after it cured, but I'm like, well, in the moment, let's just mix up a little bit more. We don't have quite the same stuff. We have something similar. So let's just mix that. It's not cured let, let's, yet. Let's do it in the same bucket. So I pour it in the same bucket put it together, pour it in there, all's good. And then when we go to take all three of these things out of the the mold jackets, we got two perfectly set up. We have one that's half perfectly set up and the other half of it is really jiggly. Uh. (laughs) Like it never quite got fully, like it's there and it's usable, but it's such a weird silicone cylinder because it's like, it's hard and then it just gets all droopy at hmm. one end and it's really weird it's uh, messed up a couple of the castings because of that you know the jacket itself is not solid but yeah that you that's probably just because you didn't put enough hardener in it is that really it just not i think i think what it was is because i used the same bucket as before and you know there was probably some unmixed something on the sides of that bucket that didn't get mixed in and so when it all ended up getting mixed together, it was just out of whack. But we have tons of little cups and buckets with an inch of silicone in the bottom of them now from all the testing and trial and error and stuff we've been doing. So we've got a bunch of little five-minute epoxy pads that we can use you know, for mixing. But it's been a lot of fun, and we're experimenting with new molding materials and techniques and a lot of new casting materials and techniques and did cold casting for the first time. Never done that, and it turned out awesome. What is like, cold casting really, versus really regular casting? So cold casting is when you take a powder. Uh, a lot of times people will do it with a metal powder, but you can do it with just a whatever color. And you dust the inside of the mold, and you get it covering the outside, and then you pour whatever the, the casting material is on the inside of that. And so that dust sticks to the outside and so it makes it look like the entire object is that material. So if you dust it with aluminum, it looks like the whole thing is solid aluminum. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our case, we were doing something to look like metal. So it's kind of a, a metallic black. But then the, the material that we poured in is a urethane rubber. So it's really flexible. I mean, it's not, not silicone flexible, but it's a flexible rubber. But it looks like metal. It has all the same texture, has, has hmm. you know, this kind of black metal finish to it. And man, it turned out really good. I've seen Bill Duran do a bunch of cold casting and he's done it with actual metal powders. So they're aluminum or they're, you know, steel or whatever. Mixed in with the casting. Positive. Yeah. On, well, yeah. Dusted on the inside of the mold. Mm. And those things come out of the mold just looking like solid metal. Funny, and then when I you never, go back and you buff them a little bit. I never knew about amazing. the dusting. I never ever seen anybody demonstrate that. What I would do is if we were going to mix... Let's say if I was going to do like a bronze cast, so I'd mix up like a Lumalite 300, which is like the white casting, or even the natural color, which I forget is 320. I think I'm remembering these numbers. Mix a bunch of bronze powder into it, like like a shot glass size, and then I would rotocast that so you'd have like a film of that against 
the detail of your mold, like rotocast it literally in, in my hand. Once that kicks, and then I backfill it with just something else. And so then you could get it out of the mold. All your details got the bronze powder in it, and then you could brush it with with uh, hmm. like steel wool or something, and you get a nice, beautiful bronze. Yeah. It looks just like it's real bronze. That's good for huh. doing like name plates and plaques and stuff. You could do like a mimic bronze casting that way. Yeah. It sounds like it's a similar similar process. This just lets you get... I was doing a two-part mold here, so I opened it up and, you know, dusted uh, one side and then took like a, an acid brush and just really brushed it onto every surface that was going to get, you know, be the outside of the casting. And then whatever's left over, you dump into the other side of the mold yeah. and brush that. And then you end up dumping out a bunch of the powder because it, it sticks at a very, very thin layer. No, just uh, but, This isn't a commercial for casting or anything. I'm glad the conversation's going this way. But um, is, is this all smooth on products you're using or what, what is the company you're using? So we're using a combination of smooth on stuff and Illumilite. I didn't, yeah, this is not sponsored in any way, but um, even the project video we're working on is not. But I have always used smooth on stuff for silicones just because that's what I see everybody else using. And so that's just what I used. I use resin from, you know, other people. And then I've used resin from Illumilite. And then we realized that Illumilite actually sells their entire, they have this huge line of, silicones and tents and pigments and they have tons of stuff and so we asked them to send us a, a few things they offered to send a bunch of stuff and so they've sent us a huge range of different things of uh, flexible foams and a bunch of different types of silicone and you know pigments for all those because you can't use the same type of coloring for silicone and for urethane and for um whatever else, you know, the different chemicals take different types of color. So we've had a lot of that where it's like, okay, we're ready to pour. We need to get, mix in the color. And I'm like, oh, nope, we have the wrong color for the wrong material. Yeah. So we have to get, we have to order this thing, you know. And so for the dusting, the powder for this um, cold casting, we used mica powder, which I guess people use for coloring resin. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It, it wasn't something I had ever used before, yeah. but we just went to a local store and picked up some. And uh, I was kind of worried that it wouldn't be the right. So total boat's got like a whole bunch of yeah. packets. I was kind of worried that it wouldn't be the the right stuff to use for this, but it actually ended up working out great. And barely used any of it. You know, we did this entire. I don't know. This mold's probably eighteen inches long, and uh, just barely used any of the powder for that. So it's a combination of companies and materials and stuff, but it's been a lot of fun and. Maybe in the after show or maybe after after show, I'll tell you guys. It's oh, oh. a pretty cool project. Wow. That's my so. favorite show. Wow. <laughs> the after after after. So you had a thing um, come up recently when you were talking to a company about a machine. Oh, Jimmy, yeah. This happened while I was here. That? Yeah. But this is a boring subject, but it's just a little something that I know everybody who has their own shop. It's dealing with insurance is, is really, it's it's such a complicated mess. It's like. Having insurance in general is just like always having to have to register your car, as annoying as it is. It's one of those things in life that you never, it's like never factors in until all of a sudden you're like, oh, and you need insurance. And you're like, oh, God, what a buzzkill. It like just makes every project, it's like, ah, eh, forget it. I don't feel like doing it now. And that's how, like, whenever insurance comes up, like if I'm working with somebody, like, like when we did our television show in the basement of the city shop, Everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, like somebody at the production company is like, yeah, you're going to need insurance. You're going to need this much liability and that much slip and fall and that much. I'm like, I, 
I, I, that's not that's not my thing. Like I, I hate. I always get nervous. I, I don't like. I just like when something bothers me. I just completely avoid it because you get on the phone with an insurance company and they just start spitting numbers at you. This, that, and the other thing, and you're just like, how much is it going to be? Is this gonna, am I going to be covered? And then all of a sudden, like the number is so wildly different. Anybody you talk to, it's like it's the wild west. I believe when it comes to insurance. Personally, I don't like to shop around for insurance, and so. I knew at that point with the television company, I just said, they're like, it has to be in your name. I said, if it has to be in my name, I said, I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to talk to the insurance company. You guys know what you need. You get it. You put it in my name and then you pay for it. And they ultimately mm-hmm. did do that. But now obviously that I have my shop in upstate New York, my landlord wanted a different type of insurance and I had to get that. But going back to the original concept. So I worked... I've been dealing with a company, I don't want to say they are, and they were going to give me a machine. The machine's about $25,000. And during COVID, we kind of lost connection. And then we started talking again this week while I was here and we're going back and forth. And then the company's like, yeah, we'll send you a machine. Great. We just need the address. If it's going to be a loading dock or if it's going to need a forklift, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, and we're going to need an insurance policy in our name. And so that right there is that buzz kill. It always like it always sours every deal for me or every conversation. And I said, uh, well, what is the insurance for? Is it in case I get hurt or is it in case the machine gets stolen or broken and, or if somebody else gets hurt? Like I, this is one of the things that bothers me about insurance. And they're like, oh, in case the machine uh, gets damaged. And I, I, I typed up this whole line. I was going to say in nine years, nobody's ever like not trusted that the machine isn't going to like, don't give it to me if you're worried about it. It's basically what I was going to say. So um, it, 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 it all it, it raised a red flag to me that somebody in the company, and we talked about this before and we were laughing about it, that it raised a red flag to me that somebody knows me and somebody doesn't know me, that the boss doesn't know me and that the employee knows me. The employee's like, we got to get this guy a machine. He's going to do great things. And the, and the owner of the company's like, who is he? What? He's on TikTok. What does he make? Uh, uh, all right, give him a machine, but just make sure it's insured. Like that's all, it just raised that red flag to me. So- this week, he's like, what do you think? What's going on? We're like, you know, the ball's in your court. And I just said, you know what? It's considering I have to get insurance and my insurance premium is is through the roof because I have so many properties. I have so many things. I have classes. I have all this stuff. My insurance premium is like off the charts. And some of it's factored into my mortgage and the rest, the overspill, I pay myself. And the overspill that's outside my mortgage is enough for like four regular people's homeowner's insurance. It's crazy. (laughs) And I actually spoke to a new insurance agent to try and get better insurance premium. And I told them everything that I do and all the properties that I have. And I could hear the guy just fading away while I was telling him. And he's like, okay. Like, I think he stopped writing while we were talking and I'm still waiting for the quote. (laughs) So I'm locked into an insurance policy that is just every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, I, I asked... I said, what is my, what is, what is that number that covers everything in case of a fire? What is the total devastation number? Do you guys know? You guys own houses. Like replacement value. I said, what is the replacement value of my house? After talking to my insurance company for not asking them the same question uh, three years later, four years later, they said, uh, I hear him like going on the keyboard. The woman goes and she goes, uh, the replacement value of house is 3500000 I go, so my house is insured for $3,500,000. I go, do you know I only pay $200,000 for it? She's like, well, that's, you know, that's the calculation for 
hurricanes and fires. Every year it goes up. So my premium that I've been paying for will replace my house for $3,500,000. And you wonder why people burn their houses down for insurance money. And I would never do that. But that's the temptation that they create. But they also, that's why the premium gets so high so often and you don't even realize it. Like I just keep getting new bills right. in the mail from my... And so when I went back, I was like, how could that be? And she's like, well, that's the calculation that we do because of you know, fires in California and hurricanes in the South. I go, I live in the Northeast. The only thing that's going to, my roof might crack because of snow. That's really the only thing around here that, long story short, they brought that down. I cut a couple of thousand dollars out of my premium a few years ago, but now it's all creeped back up again. Wow. So mm. I'm just bringing this up because I know it's an issue. It's it's kind of like, like people deal with it to the most they can and then they just like try and forget about it. And then they just like silently suffer paying the premium. I'm not really sure what, what the answer is. Anyway, long story short, I told this insur- this this product company, I was like, I'm going to pass because if I call my insurance company and ask to put you on as an underwriter, underwrite your machine, I might as well just go and buy the machine because in the long run, they're going to add that to the policy. When I go to take it off the policy in six or eight months when I give the machine back, they're not going to lower my premium. It's like they've gotten me here. Like they've gotten my arm twisted, folded, folded up, beside the back of my head and they're going to be like okay he's okay he's comfortable with this let's just leave it there and i'm going to say can you take this machine off the policy and they're going to be like no no everything else increased this is where it's supposed to be now (laughs) you understand what i'm saying and the machine isn't that expensive where i can't just go buy one of my own Hmm. Uh, so uh, i have two insurance policies and this is you're right this is a boring subject but maybe this can help somebody out who's trying to start a business. Um, We just had a regular homeowner's insurance policy with the old house. And then when we moved into this house three years ago, um, the insurance company is like, you do what for a living? Yeah, we don't want to insure you. Because they didn't understand what I did for a living. Like you, you, When I had to get an insurance policy for my shop, because my landlord, I had to like tap dance around like half truths. (laughs) Because they wouldn't have insured me. They're like, so nobody goes in. I go, nobody goes in my shop except for me and my assistant. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And but I'm looking at your website and you manufacture all these things. It's like those are all made elsewhere. That's that's a the service that makes that thing. If they order it, it's just my website is just the, is the traffic circle. It's not where it happens. You know. Right. So then we had to. Um, the third insurance company we talked to finally would insure our new house with with my business and their stipulation was okay but you have to remove that that wood burning stove from the garage and we're like okay the insurance nightmare is over with and so i thought everything is cool i've got insurance and and i'm able to work from home not a big deal and then it like a year goes by and ram trucks they want to do um they want they, they want to do some Instagram and Facebook advertisements. So they send me brand new 2019 Ram truck, $65,000 truck. And they drop it off. And it's like, um, um, send over uh, your insurance company uh, information to us. And I was like, and so I call my insurance company and I'm like, hey, I need temporary insurance on this truck for two weeks 
because they're not giving me the truck. They're taking the truck back, but I need to be insured on the truck. The whole time you're on the phone, the operator's got the hand over the cancel Pachudo's policy. They're like, <laughs> yeah. just deciding whether to just go. <laughs> Wait, you have a truck. You're going to drive it on the property. What? It's going to, you don't own it. Your hand's getting closer <laughs> to the cancel buzzer. It's, it's so they're, they're like, you, so you don't own the truck. I'm like, no. And you're not leasing the truck. I'm like, no. And they're like, there's no insurance policy for that. You need business insurance. And I was like, okay. what? And so the truck sat in my driveway. I was afraid to touch the $65,000 truck without insurance. Like, I'm not going to shoot the ad until, like, I'm not taking this thing out there and and uh, destroying it or getting into an accident. And so I ended up getting business insurance. So now I have a separate policy with this company. And it feels scammy, but they're like, you have you have all these tools, you have this business, your normal insurance policy doesn't cover that. You need this. And this will cover if you ever do another car ad or, or whatever. And this also has some, um, cause they think you're in the car ad business. So they're going to give you that. Yeah. Well, they also like, like a once in a career kind of ad that you're only going to do maybe one more time or whatever. Yeah. And so it covers if like, uh, somebody gets hurt or something and they, they try to blame me. Um, so it, it helps with that stuff. And I think I, I, I'm, I, I'm just trying to remember this number. I think it's $800 every six months, something like that. Maybe it's $800 a year. I forget. It's not that bad in the larger scheme of things, but I mean, that's a big check I have to write every, every once in a while. So Insurance, yeah. it feels what's scammy. The, what's the separation of, of coverage, though? Like, what does that actually cover you for? Um, so if, if somebody tries to sue me, that's that's one of the bigger things. For any particular reason, that uh, then goes through that, that policy. And I don't know. There's a lot of, I mean... This is what drives me crazy book, about ins- it, it, insurance it, companies. Is there's so much insurance chit chat? Like nobody ever tells you, oh, if this happens, this is how much you'll get paid, or this will get covered, this will get covered. Yeah. And then at the very end, they should all just say, and every single thing is subject to our discretion, and most likely none of it will ever go in your favor. Like, if they said exactly. That, it would be awesome. <laughs> the, well, the policy is a spiral bound book. Like I'm not gonna go through. I'm not gonna read this thing. I just my need policy, to know that my homeowner's <laughs> umbrella policy, which it gets renewed every October for the last 17 years, comes in its three quarters of an inch thick in an envelope. Yeah. And at the back of it, that's all I, I I rip open the thing, and at the very back, I just see how much is not in my mortgage and how much I actually have to pay over the years, and it's thousands of extra dollars, thousands, <laughs> on top of what I actually pay, which is thousands thousands of dollars so now that everybody's really excited about insurance <laughs> every, every i'm just venting this is the whole excuse so i could blow off steam so every couple of years my premium gets crazy and i call the insurance company and i go how is this possible and they're like okay let's see well uh your replacement value is three million five hundred thousand we could bring that down a little bit well you live in an old house and you know if we if the house for in, if we'd ever have to replace it, we'd have to put the plaster back exactly the same. I go, you're not building my house with plaster and lath with horsehair in the cement. Like, no, no, that's why. I'm like, you're not going to do that. No, well, that's that's the why you pay so much for this insurance. I'm like, I don't care if the house is made out of two by fours and sheetrock from Home Depot. 
if it's going to be a replacement value. They're like, no, 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 that's, that's, this is the policy. It's going to, how's it going to be replaced? Exactly the same. I go from the same pictures you took 18 years ago of the house. And that's partly their excuse. That's the story they're sticking to is that the house is going to be replaced exactly the same. Same construction techniques from 18, 1800. And um, what was the other thing? Oh, my deductible. Well, you have a deductible of $3. That's why your premium is so high. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's move that up. She's like, oh, okay. And then she goes, this is, this is years ago, by the way. This is like eight years ago. And they go, well, let's give you a deductible of, of $10,000. I said, okay, great. That's great. So that means I got to pay $10,000 to buy my house back from an insurance company, right? And I was like, that's legit. Okay, let's do that. My premium came down a couple thousand dollars. And then when my trailer got stolen, my cousin saw, who was my insurance broker, by the way, he, he's like, oh, I saw your trailer got stolen. He goes, it should be under the umbrella policy. So I call up his office and I'm like, yeah, can you, they're like, how much was the trailer? I go, $7,000. They go, oh yeah. Oh no, no, no. You can't make a claim because it's a $10,000 deductible. So do you still want to go forward with it? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give you $10,000 to make back seven. <laughs> of course I'm not going to go for it. Makes no sense. Okay. So are we done here, Mr. Duresta? I'm like, of course we're done. Like, I didn't realize that because it was a few years later. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, that can't be good. It doesn't fit into the, the duck. So I didn't get covered for my trailer and my umbrella policy. Mm. And so I, I went through it again to bring my premium down even more. And that's when I, the last time was when I found out my house was worth $3,500,000 on, on paper. Anyway, I'm done for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the long and the short of it is that you, if you have your business running out of your house, you should look at what it's going to take or what's going to be covered and not going to be covered by your homeowner's insurance because it's not necessarily going to cover everything. I think if you have like your own shop, you could theoretically probably prove that some of the work that you do in there is, you know, home work. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe you know, like for the home well, itself. Well, I have and two so maybe policies. You like, get some of it covered, but I, I have two policies. I have a policy that covers my house and an umbrella that is attached to the homeowner's insurance, which covers my New York City apartment, all my property, and you know, like physical property and and anything that's in my name is is under that umbrella, which is obviously very expensive. But um, then I have a policy at at the at the a liability policy at the shop in case anybody gets hurt or if somebody tries to sue my landlord. And that's, you know, $1,500 for the year. So yeah. it's just that. And, and that's why it's kind of disheartening. Like when you find out like a good, honest business just can't go forward anymore because insurance. They're like, yeah, you're not allowed past that blue ribbon because insurance policies. I'm like, but what you do is so interesting. They're like, yeah, well, you're just going to have to watch from 30 feet away because insurance has like ruined my life and disheartened my, you know, has popped my bubble. And there's so many barriers to- to running your own business. It's it's almost like in in America you pay more taxes when you're self-employed because your ins- your employer is not paying part of your insurance. They encourage you to to cut corners and because Yeah. If yeah. you do everything right of the book, you Here's another thing. I, I'll tell another thing like when it comes down to insurance, New York state if you have and I forget exactly what I, I cuz I I completely stay out of it. I don't get involved in it because it's too complicated. They think that um, workman's compensation insurance, like if you have an employee, you have to pay into the workman's compensation thing. I opened up the mail one day. It said the New York State Workman's Compensation Board thinks that you should be paying home, uh, workman's comp insurance. 
you, it seems like you're back. You owe us $75,000 in back premiums. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just said, this is, I pay people as freelancers. I 1099 them and that's the way it is. And so I just sent it to my tax guy and I just said, I, I was so ridiculous. I was like, there is, I will go down swinging before I pay a dime to this, whatever this is. I don't even know what this is, but if the state wants to try and take that much money from me for something that is absolutely just their guesstimate that they think that I'm going on, they think they think I have like full-time employees and that I'm not paying. And uh, I just gave it to my tax attorney lawyer guy who's been with me for 20 years and it just went away. I never heard about it ever again. Like a year later, I'm like, whatever happened to the thing is I handled it, don't worry. But what if I was the type of person that didn't have a tax lawyer and I'd call that red tape office and get sucked into the red tape and negotiate out paying something, not nothing, but negotiate my way out of paying some of it, not all of it, but he's not really, I don't really have an employee, but they just saw that I had a business and just assumed that I had an employee and just said, sent that along. And then not I think only- that's, that's an important point. Like having people that do, so some people love to do their own taxes. I know Josh is behind me. He loves to do his own taxes. Weirdo, whatever. <laughs> <He's> pumping his <laughs> fist. <But> I, <laughs> he like fist bumps in the air. I hate doing my own taxes. I have not done my taxes for years. And there's part of me that says like, well, that's kind of like a an entitled kind of fancy thing to like, I have an accountant that handles that, or I have an insurance person that handles that, or an attorney or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, I would be wasting huge amounts of time. It's like hiring a plumber to do your plumbing. Yeah, exactly. I would waste a huge amount of time. I would do it incorrectly. And when something like that came up, where I got like a notice in the mail, I would be like, it, when I see them now, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have any clue. And I don't want to know. This is not my job. <laughs> And so, like, I, years ago, uh, found somebody that I trusted to be an accountant, and I pay them to do my taxes, and it costs me money, but I send them a pile of paperwork, Mm -hmm. and then I get back my taxes, and I send them a check. The end. Same And I know that anytime I get a a notification from the state or from the federal government, I send it to them, and the same thing. It goes away. They know what to do with it. Like, exactly. And they do it legit and legally and ethically and they handle it but it's done and i don't have to think about it i do the same thing for uh, payroll i mean you know we have payroll we have four people full-time one part-time and i don't know how to calculate all the taxes and all the workman's comp and all the this and the that i just pay a company every month to handle payroll and I don't have to touch it. And I know it's done correctly. And I know it's done, you know, in the way that it should be done. They submit everything where it needs to go. Do the same thing for insurance. I do the same thing for, you know, all of that type of stuff. So it can be really overwhelming if you're starting your own business. To all of those things pile up to like, it's a lot of stuff to get to know. And there's more. But I would encourage you to find somebody that you trust. I, it, it, there's so uh yeah i also pay somebody to do my taxes hand him all the stuff once a year he does everything for it he's amazing um then you have to health insurance in america health insurance is crazy expensive you no longer have an employer paying for that then you get your business insurance and you pay more in taxes it's almost like here it's like it's discouraged to start a business you have i mean those four things just add up to a ton of money every year yeah. Even like sales tax. That's like another thing that I didn't really think about because, you know, we're online. We don't have to pay sales tax. Actually, you do have to pay sales tax in a lot of different places. 
And I found a company um, that, so we use WooCommerce for our online store. And it's uh, it's like a free web software for online stores. But there's a bunch of plugins that will take care of certain parts of it for inventory or for like you know, shipping or whatever. And I found one that will calculate and pay your sales tax based on where the orders are coming in from. So you don't have to keep track of like, my state, I'm getting this number of orders from this state and I owe this state a certain amount of sales tax and this and that. They do all that. And so I, it's you know, a small monthly fee, but I never touch sales tax. And I know that it's going out in the way that it should go based on the orders that are coming in. It's calculated at the end of the year. I get a sheet that I put in my pile of paper that I send to my accountant <laughs> <laughs> and it's done. So like even stuff like that, you know, there are, obviously you're paying for all these things. So it adds up, but just like at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about Frank uh, building a box for his alginate molds. I don't want to spend my time trying to figure out what to do with a piece of paper that is, I'm not going to figure it out. Yeah. I'm not going to understand sales tax. And so my time is better spent that five ninety nine a month or whatever it is to let that company do that thing and send me back the piece of paper. And I think that's worth a lot. Having people that you can trust that you know are doing things the correct way, you know, and just there's always going to be your time there's like that mailbox good. surprise that happens once about every six or eight months where you open up a piece of mail and somebody's saying you owe them a tremendous amount of money and you just <laughs> give it to them, whether it's the insurance company. And then, like I, I even remember one day. Oh, I, I screamed and yelled. My so my umbrella policy, which like is this many extra thousands of dollars a year. I was late on a payment because it never came to my house. So instead of sending me a warning in the email, the only other piece of mail I got was it got canceled. So I called up and they're like, "Yeah, your policy was due yesterday." I was like, "So you guys had like five months to tell me that I was late on this one payment or this one thing?" Did it was they had like two months or three months to tell me. The piece of mail that I ignored just never came. So that was why I was delinquent. And there was, so then they canceled the policy. And she got me on the phone to tell me that, you know, oh, well, like to kind of like shame me that I missed the payment. So they canceled that part of my policy. And I screamed and yelled at her for 10 minutes. I was like, are you shaming me? I go, you know what? You're doing me a favor. Now I don't have to pay this extra. You go, you wouldn't pay anything if it came through anyway. If you guys needed to pay for something, you wouldn't do it anyway. I go, so you're shaming me that I didn't? They go, great, you're canceling yourself because you're the ones that's not going to get the three or $4,000 a year. And I screamed and yelled. And I, was, and I said, I go, my cousin's supposed to be taking care of me. I yelled even more. I go, this is how I get treated. I go, I missed one payment. I go, I've been on your policy for 17 years. I never even reported anything ever in 17 years. And I missed one payment. So you cancel me. Payment got the whole policy got reinstated two hours later. <laughs> Dang. Nice. Anyway, I can scream and yell about this for two hours. You screamed and yelled, screamed and yelled. We we need to kind of wrap up because Jimmy has to go be Hollywood. I gotta go be Hollywood, uh, Jimmy, today. Set, so, <laughs> let me thank our Patreon supporters really quickly. Big thanks to everybody that helps us out over there uh, at patreon.com slash making it. And everybody gets the after show, which we are going to do today. We just got to be quick about it because Jimmy's got to get the set. Uh, but big thanks to our top supporters over there on Patreon. That's Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting. You can make this too. Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Low End Design, 
Corey from Make, Spa- Make Shape Create. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. And Odin Leather Goods. Um, there's a bunch of people, though, and we are grateful for every single one of them. So if you want to join that crew, go over to patreon.com slash making it. Or it would also be helpful if you just left us a review on the podcast apps. Apparently, that's a thing that lets other people find the show. Hmm. So we would appreciate that. That would be cool. Uh, do do we right. want to keep getting more Patreon people? I mean, we got to pay taxes on all that. Yeah, that's true. Such a hassle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys got anything to recommend this week? Anything cool? I do. There is a YouTube channel called Essential Craftsman. Yeah, I wasn't aware of it. And it's a huge yes. YouTube channel. It's oh, got yeah. 851,000 subscribers. And it's got this video called The Friend Who Revolutionized My Thinking. And his friend had a stroke, only has use of basic use of, of one arm, and built this green and green house with the whole house is just absolutely amazing. Um, it's not my thing, but it is mind-blowing how cool this house is. Um, so And basically did all this with with one one arm and um camera dan is like you gotta check out this video camera dan also pointed out like this guy this guy's friend he's kind of like me who gets bored with something like i get bored with woodworking so then i move on to and i pick up another thing and i and i do with that and like so he just he got bored with woodworking and started doing metalworking and then went into blacksmithing, and then what? Like, just keeps adding to his skill set. Just, it's a really cool video. Essential Craftsman is an excellent channel. Yeah, he's got I a good podcast a too. His videos. Oh, hmm. how did I not know about this? Yeah, yeah. Go check out the podcast. It's really good. I was going to shout out Frank Ippolito over at the Thingery, and it's just amazing. Just uh, amazing, great, incredible stuff. Oh, by the way, he he introduced me. So I went into his 3D printing room, and he's got like 80 3D printers cooking at any given moment, making cool stuff. And he's got yeah. one called like, uh, Bob, you would know this. It's a liquid printer. It's a poly, 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 I'm waiting for you to finish the word. I don't know the brand name. I don't know which one you're But it's like a resin printer? Yeah, and I think I want to get one. It's you know, it's affordable. Oh, they're fantastic. They aren't the guys I they're wanted amazing. insurance, by the way. I think I might just buy this one because it, it'd be about one premium for insurance payment. So, so I could own it with no strings. I'm looking for the picture that I took in Frank's shop of this particular machine, and you could tell me. But um, yeah, no. So check out. Uh, check well, we've out got a show. Yeah, Frank. Frank's amazing. Um, I don't know. He doesn't do a lot of YouTube stuff anymore because I think he's just heads down and like. Oh. legit work for movies and Absolutely. TV and all sorts of amazing stuff. P.O. Poly. P.O. Poly. This one. Oh, Piopoli. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Piopoli. So that's that's a brand. There are many resin printers right now that are amazing. And the price, they used to be so expensive, the price is now dropping yeah. so much. That's like 1500 that bucks uh, for that particular machine. Yeah, Maybe. but you can get them way cheaper than that yeah. for smaller pieces, depending yeah. on you know your build area, but resin printers i think are the future of 3d printing They're yeah pretty amazing that's, that's so i'm going to jump in um so mine i actually wanted to talk about the alumalite channel we talked about you know smooth on and alumalite earlier it's not sponsored by them in any way but through all of this learning that we've been doing recently we've ended up on their channel a lot of times looking at videos about molding and casting and when you look at the smooth on videos they're good but they made them like 15 years ago 
And, you know, so the information's there, but the Illumilite videos are modern and they're really easy to follow, really good examples of stuff. So, you know, both of those channels, I think, are really good for molding and casting information, but the Illumilite has some new good videos. Yeah, that brings up a point. Um, it's real. It's funny. I don't think any, I don't know who from industry listens, but it is so important if you're a company nowadays that makes a service or a process or a machine to have good YouTube support for that company. There are companies that I work with day to day that have horrible videos that talk about how their machines are horrible. It pays to just like hire a little production setup, hire a couple of guys that are good at what they do. Give them, give them a salary that you would give any one of the engineers to just do that. Maybe even a little bit more. It's worth it 10, 10 times. How many times you get like a product or a CNC machine and you go to their YouTube channel and it's horrible. It's like guys talking in the packing room about how to set the machine up. No audio. They think that's okay. It's, you know, more and more, it's not okay. You really have to have at least YouTube quality production style to just get good videos, get good people, hire somebody that you give in your machine to, to do the video for you. I mean, it's happening more and more, but like yeah. when you go to a CNC company's YouTube channel and you expect to see someone like, you know, you two guys doing it and it's the guy that, you know, the works in the mailroom talking about it. It's, I think it's irresponsible. That's it. I'm done yeah, reading about that. Opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Let's head on to the after show. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you guys. And, uh, catch you next time. Bye guys. Thank you. Love you. I hate Thank insurance, you. but I love you.